the vision of our church is building a church for generations. This church is not for us. It's for our children and our children and our children and our children's children. It's for future generations. And my story today is a lot to do with that. It's a lot to do with how much I'm a product of what my parents planted in life, what my parents planted in life. And if you remember last week, Dr. Crystal shared about the flowers that she didn't receive in life. And and, and turns out that some generous people in this church decided to quietly and secretly send her bouquets of flour this week. And maybe some of you have seen it on Facebook. And, you know, I'm sure she wants to say publicly, thank you for any of you that are are sending her flowers. And I think you're still fine with receiving more, except now it looks like a funeral parlor in her house. And, and this, this, today, I want to talk about um, the, the things that I didn't get as a child as well, and specifically, a brand new church that I didn't receive growing up. So if there's any, anyone out there that wants to send me a brand new church uh, growing you know, this week, you feel free to do that. I really would, uh, would appreciate that. My father and my mother met together in Scotland on the east and the west coast of Scotland on the bonnie, bonnie banks of Loch Lomond. Uh, some of you probably don't even know what I'm talking about, but that's an old song, the Bonnie Bonnie Banks of Loch Lomond. And my father was actually, uh, he grew up in the church and in the faith, and his father was a lay leader in the Church of Scotland, and he was known as the man who could get children to take baths. That sounds creepy without the explanation that is about to follow, but what he did was he used to have a church ministry where children from all around would come to, 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 come to his group. And what he'd do is he'd have monitors that would stand at the front door and he would, he would call it neck, elbows, and knees. And he would have them to check their necks, to check their elbows, and to check their knees to make sure that they were washed. Because that was a way of telling whether a child had taken a bath this week. And he was known as the only man who could get children to take baths. And, uh, and so that was part of his ministry was to work with, it, with children. And my grandfather, my great-grandfather was in ministry as well. And so my father had a desire and a passion for ministry too, but he followed my grandfather into becoming a draftsman. That is a ship designer. And in fact, my father worked on the largest cruise ship of its time in the 1960s in the docks of, um, of Glasgow. And uh, he, he designed some of the engines and he designed parts of the, of the ship and that's what he did for a living. But in his heart was a desire to actually be a missionary. Always wanted to be a missionary. And so he decided to, he decided to apply for, for becoming a minister in the Church of Scotland, but he just didn't really think that was for him. So he decided to apply to become a missionary, and the, 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 the best next step for him was to be a part of a mission society that was called the Christian Literature Crusade, the CLC. And the CLC was basically a way of this, this group of people that would try and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ through literature, through books. And in fact, they used to, you know, they used to support mission fields and, and send literature in their languages in whatever countries they were going into. That was their goal, to try and send the teachings of Jesus Christ in the, langu- the local languages of wherever they were trying to reach. And in fact, he, he started up a store in Dundee as well called the CLC. I don't know who that lady is in that picture, but that's the only picture I could find on the internet, right? So that was one of the stores that my dad was a part of starting. But before that, he actually went down to London to be a part of the Christian Literature Crusade. It was their largest store. It was their flagship store. And what he discovered there was how much poverty was in the mindsets of Christians and missionaries and pastors, that they believed that they were meant to do the work of Christ, but they couldn't do it efficiently, and they couldn't do it with a belief that God wanted to follow vision with provision. 
And so he turned around the store and he made it profitable and, uh, and, and, he, and, and he just blew everyone's mind because he did amazing things there. And during that time, he heard about a preacher that was traveling around uh, Britain and he was uh, out of town doing a thing called a tent mission. You ever heard of tent missions? That's when itinerant preachers would, would travel around with these big tents and then they would just do meetings in, in different towns. And he heard there was amazing things happen. So he got on his scooter and he rode through the day to get to the meeting at night. And when he went to the meeting, he received the Spirit. And what does that mean? That many of us, we, you've probably heard of that. And you've heard of, uh, you know, we use that term a lot to be filled with the Spirit. But in those days, that wasn't something that was ever considered being filled with the Spirit. But it's all over the New Testament. And something changed inside of him. A boldness came upon him. A, a great desire to do the things of God just overwhelmed him because he became filled with the Spirit. And so he traveled overnight on his scooter to go get my mom, put her on the back of the scooter, and then drove through the day to get to the next meeting the following night and took her there. And she got filled with the Spirit. So then they traveled back to their little flat in, in, uh, in, in London, and they were continuing on with running this, their bookshop. And, and, and one night he had a vision. And he had a vision of this bright light in Scotland. And so he, he got up the next day and he, he got a map. And he found a map of where that light was. And that light was located in a city called Dundee. And so he felt like he was meant to go to Dundee. And he went to his bosses and he said, is there, is, can I, I want to go to Dundee. And they said, you don't want to go to Dundee. It's a depressed city. It's a horrible city. Nobody wants to go there. And he goes, but do we have a store there? And they said, well, kind of, but it's not a very good store. And he said, send me there. So he went to that store and he turned the store around. And that's where he spent the rest of his days. That's where I was born. I was born in a place called 24 Shepherd's Lawn. Right? It's a house that's right on the backside of this big factory. I was born right beside a factory. That The house was, was actually built onto the side of the factory. And every night I would hear the machines coming on. And that's how I got to sleep. Uh, every night was with these machines. And so I was born in 24 Shepherd's Lawn. Someone came up to me afterwards after the first service and said, You were born in your house? I'm like, yeah, that's what they used to do. It's just get them out and get back to work, right? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I was, I was born there at 24 Shepherd's Lawn. And, uh, and, and in fact, my, I, my dad was so really moved with the, the, the move of the Spirit that many students used to come in because it was a student town. And they would get into conversations with them about the things of God. And they were just so, you know, uh, so, so uh, motivated by the things he was saying. And, by, and he said, have you ever received the things of the Spirit? And you know, of course, no, I don't know what the Spirit is. So you pray for them and ask for that. They would get filled with the Spirit as well. In fact, some of them would come in after watching a movie that came out in 1973 called The Exorcist. Has anyone seen The Exorcist? Right, well, I'm a Christian. I haven't seen The Exorcist. Um, and, and, and he heard that some of them were, you know, were coming to his shop and they were asking for prayer because they were getting pretty disturbed by what they saw on the movie of The Exorcist. So he got this idea and he put some leaflets together and he printed up these leaflets and he would go down to the movie theater on Friday and Saturday nights and he would stand outside and he would wait for people to have finished watching The Exorcist. Then he would give them a leaflet and it said, if you just watch The Exorcist and you feel disturbed by this, give me a call, I'd love to pray for you. And so people actually started to call him. And then the newspaper called him and said, we've heard you've been praying for people and you've been doing exorcism on people. So they actually put... Uh, they put, a, they put a, an article in the newspaper and they called him the Dundee Exorcist. 
And, you know, they even said, he was like, oh, he prays for people and they float three foot above the ground. And I'm like, if they did that, that'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? You know? At least I'd have a cool dad, right? He'd make people float above the ground. And so, and so he got known as the Dundee Exorcist. So he became known as maybe a little bit of a weird guy. But he knew that God had led him to, 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 to this city and to do great things for God. And so when he was there, there were so many young people were coming that he started a group in the basement of the, of the CLC. And it got to the point where there was a small church that was dying that came to him and said, we believe in what you're doing and we want to give you a hall. And so they gave him this hall called the Tent Mission Hall, which my dad decided to call the Gate Fellowship. Now, why did he call it the Gate Fellowship? Because Dundee used to have a wall around it and it, was, it had all these different gates on it. The Nether Gate, the Over Gate, the Sea Gate, the Dung Gate, the Cow Gate. And so my dad decided we're going to be the spiritual gate for the city. So we're going to call this the Gay Christian Fellowship Church. And so that's where really my faith began, was in that small hall. That's where I remember God really starting to move and create this community. And I can't stress enough the importance of parents to create the community that they wish for their children to live in and to believe in and to grow on in in the future too. Listen, I don't mean this as a condemnation, but over the years, it's amazing how many times sometimes parents have told me, hey, can you get my son or my daughter into your church? And what I want to say is, why don't you take them to your church, right? Why don't you get them to be excited by your church? Because nine times out of 10, they don't actually go to church, but they see the value of church, but only for their children because they want their children to learn moral things. The fact is, our children usually follow what their parents do. If there's one thing I would say from today, the best thing I can say is the importance of what it means that you're living your life for the vision of the future of your children. What is your goal for five years' time? What is your goal for 10 years' time? Do you even have a goal for 15 or 20 years in your life? Have you ever, ever asked yourself that question? Maybe your goal is only just to try and make it to the end of the week. Maybe your goal is only to make it to the end of the year. The fact is, God has plans for your children. You should be about the business of those plans and discover what they are and start planting what you need to plant now so that they can have the harvest and the fruit of those plans so they can be about doing something bigger than you've ever done before. You see, God doesn't just have plans for you, so does the devil. The devil has plans for your children and he's very good at working hard to try and get his plans to be fulfilled in your children's lives. I firmly believe it's our job to make the community of the body of Christ to give the vision into our children so they can be excited about carrying on our faith as well. Now what I'm about to show you is a picture that may make you feel like you're watching Netflix Stranger Things but that's the way it is. This is a picture of my family. (laughs) this is a picture of my family and up here that's not Will from Stranger Things but boy my brother looks like it doesn't he some of you have maybe not seen Stranger Things the movie but if you watch the movie you'll see what I'm saying so my father there looks like like a, a cross between Abraham Lincoln and groundskeeper Willie and and he is just the the epitome of what you'd expect a Scotsman to look like because he's all ginger you know what I'm saying And here's me right on the front, and I am barely wearing those shorts. 
It's like my parents went, let's take these shorts from a two-year-old and put it on this five-year-old right there. So I am bursting at the seams. I look like I like my donuts, that's for sure. And then my mother decided to make dresses out of curtains from my, my sisters as well. My mother actually used to make all of our clothes because that's what you used to do in those days when you had no money. And uh, that's the result of it. But, you know, there's the joy right there. But anyway, when I'm looking at this, I'm looking at myself. And I'm often, you know, when you look at a picture like this, you're often asking, what is it that was going on in that, that kid's mind? What was happening then? And around about that time is when um, my, my, my father, he started to plant this church and he inspired other people to plant churches too. So there was quite a network of churches he was connected to. And, and, and as he was inspiring them to do that, he decided to try and collect them all together and do a thing called a Bible camp. And so we get together for our Bible camp. And at the Bible camp, they would have a big tent together and they would get a preacher to come in and, and then they would, you know, talk about the Bible and they would do the gospel. And one night when I was there, I was on the front line. I was on the front row of the Bible camp. And, uh, and so we would stay in these camp, uh, these campers, these little tiny campers. Six people squeezed into that little camper. And, uh, and so we were in the tent. And I remember at the end of the night, I was moved by something and I was just sitting there by myself wondering, you know, what it, I didn't know what it was that I was feeling. And one of my dad's elders came over to me, sat beside me, and he said, have you ever given your heart to Jesus before? And I said, no. And he said, would you like to do it? And I said, yeah. And he said, okay, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to get you to give your heart to Jesus. And I just burst into tears. And so I knew I was something had happened, and I was moved at a very young age. So I ran home, and um, I ran back to the, the caravan camper that you see up there. And I went back into the camper and the hustle and the bustle that was going on in the camper, I just remember wanting to tell everybody what happened, but I, 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 I knew that everyone was so busy that whatever I said would never be really received. And I'm not trying to blame or, 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 or criticize my family here, but sometimes that can happen in your faith. You get something amazing, you get a revelation, you try to tell other people and they just don't get it like you get it. That's just a part of your faith. That's sometimes the way it is. But as you grow in your faith and your zeal for the Lord, he will plant things within you that will come to fruition later on in life. Around about that time, we used to, we used to go camping. There was uh, this little boy here. This is me, a little chubby boy here. Looks like eating too many donuts here. But there was a, there was a, a gentleman in my church called Chris Goodman. And, uh, and I used to call my brother Dubby. His name was Andrew because he didn't, I couldn't pronounce his name for some reason, so I called him Dubby, so they, everybody called me Dubby. So I was known as Dubby, and I, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus if you start calling me Dubby from this day forward, right? I left that thing in Scotland, people, right? Okay, so, um, so he actually made me this little orange bag, and he made it out of canvas, out of an old tent, and he put it together, and he sewed it together, and he said, son, this is for you because you're an explorer, and you're an adventurer, and this is the bag you're gonna use to go on your adventures. He saw something inside of me that at the time I didn't really understand what was going on, but he said, we're gonna call this the dubby bag. And every time someone sees that, they're gonna think of you. And I'm gonna make, and he actually made other bags for other people and they called it the dubby bag. And so from there, I actually lived not far from um, an, an, an older gentleman that was the most famous artist in Scotland. His name was James McIntosh Patrick. 
and he was the most famous uh, artist, and he lived just down the road, and I used to run down his road to, and I say, you know, can we go, can we take your dog for a walk, and, and can I have some of the candy that's in your house, and I'd go in his apple orchards, and I would pick his apples and stuff, and he was a very kindly man, and I also used to remember being in his house, and all these paintings everywhere, and I got inspired to become a painter, and that's all I ever did, that's all I ever wanted to do, and I just painted, and I painted, and I drew, and I drew, and, and I used to enter competitions, and I used to win the competitions as well. And that's really where I found my identity. I was excited about the idea of becoming someone that would be a painter. But during that time as well, there was actually an older couple that actually came to visit my parents. And I didn't really, I didn't know who they were, and I, don't, I still don't know even who they were. And as I came down for breakfast, I came to the table and they started talking and I was enamored with them because they, stand, they sounded like Starsky and Hutch. And, and that's the only time I'd ever heard American accents. And so I was, I was talking with them and I kept bugging them and, and speaking to them. And, and, and my mother said, stop, stop annoying them. Leave them in peace to eat their, eat their breakfast. And so he said, son, before you leave, here's something for you. And I was about five years old and he gave me a dollar. And I'll never forget going up the stairs and looking at that dollar and something said inside of me, someday you're going to America. I'm sending you to America. And so later on that day, I went up to my mom and I showed her the dollar and he said, he gave this to me. God's going to send me to America. And I remember my mother saying, "Uh uh-huh, that's nice. There's your faith from your mother. And so she said, "Uh uh-huh, that's nice. It still was just in my heart. And one thing led to the next, and I got more into art, and the more, the more I grew up in, in, the, in the church and in my faith, there was one thing I decided not to do. I didn't want to be a pastor. You see, even though I'm standing up here, I never had the dream to be a pastor. Somehow I knew there was a, some level of calling on my life, but I didn't want to be a pastor, mostly because of the way, that the trials and the tribulations that I saw my father going through, and the difficulties, and sometimes the way that he was treated. I just didn't want to be a pastor. I wanted to be like, James McIntosh Patrick. I wanted to be a famous painter. And so as I was going along, as I was getting older, I actually started to grow in a passion for the Word of God. And when I grew in a, for a passion for the Word of God, I heard this preacher once on a tape, I, I, actually at a conference, I believe, once, and I heard him speak. And when he spoke, he spoke with such authority and with such passion for the Word of God, something inside of me said, whatever he's got, that's what I want to have. And his name was David Pawson, and I believe he's still alive today in his 90s. And in fact, you can go to his website, davidpawson.org, and you can see all his teachings. In fact, he does a teaching on every book of the Bible. It's absolutely amazing stuff. I was, um, I was mentored by this man, even though I only ever met him once. And so sometimes when I was 15 years old, I would get some of these tapes in the, in the, in the mail and, I, and I'd put them in the tape recorder and I would listen to his teachings and I was just blown away with his wisdom in the Word of God. And as I was a, a young teenager as well, there was another gentleman in my father's church called Ted Collington. And, and Ted is, uh, you know, he, if you're listening to this today, um, you're somewhere in Scotland somewhere and you're a retired gentleman. I want, you to, I want to say thank you so much for how much you poured into my life. But this man... What he did is he used to run a Bible study class at church. And sometimes I would turn up by myself or I would turn up with just my friend and I would always be amazed that there wasn't more people that wanted to learn the Bible. Why weren't they as passionate as I was? Why weren't they as excited? This is amazing stuff. Surely you want to come to this. But people just didn't turn up as much. And so when I, when I got to about 17 or 18 years old, I applied for college to go to art college. And I had all my tutors, all my friends, my family would tell me, you'll definitely get in. You're a great artist. You'll definitely get in. So I applied and I didn't get in. 
I made the stupid prayer of, hey, God, if you don't want me to get in, don't get me in, right? That's just a bad idea. If you really want to get your own way, don't ask God to be involved. And so anyway, God didn't let me get in. And I remember coming back to my dad's office, and obviously I really looked uh, uh, crestfallen. I must have looked downhearted. And Pastor Ted Collington was there, and he said, what's going on? And I said, I just got rejected from our college. And he said, well, why don't you, he said, well, you can always apply next year. And instead of just waiting a year, why don't you do something? Like go to Bible college for a year. Go to Bible college because that's going to be something that I think will be good for you. Because I see that God's actually get, put something inside of you. He's put a passion in your heart for the word of God. And I think that God is calling you to, 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 to preach as well. And I'm like, I don't want to preach, but I'll go to Bible college. I don't want to be a pastor. I want nothing to do it. So I went there and I, and I decided to go to Glasgow Bible College. And when I was there, I thought I'll go apply for art college the year later. And I knew that God was starting to push on me. And he said, no, I want you to stay here. And so I did. I stayed there at Bible College. And I stayed there for three and a half years. And I also went off to New Zealand to do a semester there in Bible College. And I came back. And during that time, I actually started to date someone in Bible College. And when I was dating them, I realized now in hindsight, it was a confluence of two things that came to pass in my life. The first thing was this. The only reason I dated this person, even though I justified it with her being a Christian and she's going to Bible college, surely she must be the right person for me, was that there was a part of me, and in hindsight, I can see that I had this over, I had this huge inadequacy within myself. This inadequacy of feeling that I wasn't good enough I wouldn't find someone who would be, you know, beautiful or, or, or someone that, that I, you know, that, that would, would even want to be in my life. There would be no girl that would ever want to choose me. There'd be nothing that I'd be able to be able to do that would be great in life. And sometimes that can happen when you're standing in the shadow of a father and a mother who have done great things. I sympathize with you if you've ever been in that position. And so there was this huge inadequacy within me because subconsciously I was thinking I have to do great things, but I don't think I can do it. And on the other side, there was the other side of me, which was the part of me that was, I want to do my own thing. I don't want to be told what to do. All I've done is ever be a pastor's kid, and I'm expected to always do the right thing and always be a Christian, and someday you're going to be walking in your father's footsteps. And I'm like, no way, Jose, I don't want to do that. And so uh, uh, there was that two, the tension of these two things fighting against each other. So when I found someone who wanted to be with me, I was just grateful that I was no longer inadequate and I was, I was now showing that I could choose my own way. The problem with that was that God started to pressure me and show me that this wasn't the way he wanted me to go and I ignored it and I ignored it and I ignored it. Here's the thing that I've discovered that happened in my life that I often find that discovers in many other people's lives. Sometimes... We'll choose the things that we want and ignore all the red flags because the thing that we want makes us feel good about ourselves. It seems to press down the inadequacy. It presses down the fear. It presses down the hurt and the rejection. So I'll get into this relationship. I'll get into this job. I'll buy this house. I'll go to this city. I'll make these friends with these people because somehow that's what is going to determine who I am. You see, when I was an artist, that determined who I was because I was good at it and I had va gave value to me. But that wasn't my calling. Listen, God has to determine what your value is. In life, the father determines what the child thinks about themselves. The same is true when you walk in your faith. You have to discover what the father thinks about you. 
and then take the rest of that stuff, that junk, and put it at the cross. We just can't afford to be driven by fear of not having a mate, of fear of not being significant in life, of not being successful in life. We can't afford to be driven by that, or you'll end up in the position where you'll be making mistakes that you regret for the rest of your life. One thing is worse than waiting, and that is wishing you had waited. Let me say again, there's one thing that is worse than waiting, and that is wishing you had waited. One night I had a dream, and I had a dream of a child that came to me, and I was on my knees, and I was in tears, and I had to tell this child, I'm sorry, but I have to leave your mother. And it scared me so much that when I woke up in the morning, I I decided I can't be with this woman. I can't be, I can't marry this person. If this, is the, if this is what God is telling me is going to happen, I'm going to have to let her go, and I let her go. And it came to me in a dream. And as I let her go, about a week later, I, went, I was at a conference, a youth conference, and I met a man on a Friday. I met a man and a woman on a Friday, and then on the Saturday, he came up to me and he said, would you like to come and work for me in America? And Dr. Crystal, I want to thank you because you let your husband bring me over. (laughs) That's what you did. (laughs) One thing I learned was when you're ready to obey is when God's plan is released. There's something significant about that. See, the thing is, if any of you have ever had a plan that has been spoken in your life and there's been a dream that has been planted in your life, it's not over until it's over. It's always ready and willing and it's, it's just chomping at the bit and it's ready to come to pass in your life. But it needs two things. It needs trust and it needs obedience. The old hymn that says, trust and obey for there is no other way. Trust and obey. And that's the day that I probably discovered that trusting God and obeying him is what will make the things that he has planted in your heart come to pass. And that's when it hit me that the only way I could have come to America was not because God told me I was going. It's not a prophetic word that tells you this is going to happen. It's a prophetic word that invites you to be a part of that plan and that vision that God has got in your life. And as we, as we give ourselves into God and we trust and obey, he will open up the way for us. And so when I came over and I was getting ready to come over to America, and I'm sorry we're going over time right now, but as I was coming over, getting ready to come over to come to America, I was getting packed and I found that dollar bill that that man gave me when I was five years old. And we came here and I remember sitting in the front row here. Pastor Mark was talking about the Orlando Magic Fat Guy. Does anyone remember that? <clears throat> Do you remember the Orlando fat guy, Orlando Magic fat guy? So he was a guy who was a super fan of the Orlando Magic. And every game before it started, he would get up and he would run around the court, right? And he would say, are you ready for what God has got to give to you? Are you ready to receive it and believe that you're going to win this game? Are you ready to believe that God has got great things for you? So I took that dollar and I put it in, I put it in the offering and I said to God, you have been faithful with your promises to me. Now I'll be faithful to you. And at the end of the service, he made everyone stand up and something inside of me said, you got to run like the fat guy. So I got up and I started running around this hall and I realized that halfway around, no one knew what I was doing. 
partly because I was so skinny, so it probably looked like a skeleton running around the room, right? It wasn't a fat guy. And so I need a volunteer of a fat guy to run around the room for us, okay? So, so I ran, I was running around, and as I got to the back, people started to cheer. And that's when it started to hit me. This is what it feels like to obey God. This is what it feels like to trust and obey. That even if it takes you 10, 15, 20, 30 years for something to come to pass, it's joyful to praise God. Come on, let's give up to him. Come on now. Let's praise our Father. Come on. Thank you, Father. God is a good God. He is a great Father. He is a good God. And let me tell you, God has more for you. God has more for you. Next year, I believe we need to go into the vision of next year asking God for more, having the boldness for more, having the confidence for more, instead of settling for just hoping that we're good enough or that we'll try and hold on to what we've got. No, no, no. We give it away now and then we go take on more. Ask for more because God has so much more for you. If you think you're done, let me tell you right now, you're not done. If you think you've reached your peak, you've not reached your peak. I don't care what age you are. I'd love to take a poll right now to see what age groups we've got here right now, but we don't have the time. But whatever age you are, if you have retired or you're coming to the end of your work or you think you're finished with education and you think, I've reached my peak, you've not reached your peak. God has so much more for you. Do you believe that? Do you trust him with that? Now, here's the last one. Can you obey him with that? Because God has got no problem with chaos existing in your life. He's got no problem with stirring things up inside of you and making you uncomfortable. Why? Because he has so much more for you. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that this belief and a spirit would come upon this church in the name of Jesus. Right now, there'll be a belief stirred up in each one of us that you have more for us. Lord, at five years old, we were dreaming of great things. Have those dreams come to pass? At 35 years old, at 45 years old, at 55, 65, 75, Lord, you still have more for us. You still have more dreams for us. We want to be fertile ground for those dreams. So I speak upon you in the name of Jesus. Dream again. Trust your Father and obey Him with whatever step He gives you. Trust Him that He is making great things come to pass in your life. Oh God, I pray you would stir up, stir up, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that passion for your word. Stir up, Lord, that whatever you're planting through us is for our next generation. And I pray that God would bless you and keep you and make every one of you feel His eyes shine upon you. And all God's people said, Amen.